Good morning, Atascadero family. I'm Tim Fazio. I do some administrative work here at Atascadero Bible Church, and I'm so happy that you're here today. Hey, listen, we have some announcements for you. September 5th, we had announced a couple weeks ago that the 9 o'clock service was being moved indoors. We're not doing that. We had a lot of people um, call and say, hey, they really enjoyed the out, outside service, and we're going to continue doing outside service. So remember that on September 5th, we are going to continue doing the 9 o'clock service outdoors. But we are going to be doing an 8 o'clock service that we haven't done for a long time indoors. It'll be in the worship center, different location, but it's going to be an 8 o'clock service indoors. And a lot of you that haven't come for so long, we've really missed you. Please come. I'd love to see you and say hi to you on, uh, at 8 o'clock in the worship center. So 8 o'clock indoors, 9 o'clock outdoors, 1045 indoors. You got that? Also, um, kids program. Kids program will now be available both at 9 o'clock and 1045. Great news for your parents. So uh, look forward to that on September 5th. Hey, listen, next week, the 29th, big weekend, guys. You really need to plan to come. I know Tom, in his message, kind of talked a little bit down about his service on the 29th, that it wouldn't be a great message. I'm telling you what, it's going to be a great message. So he can, he can fire me over that, but it's going to be a great message. I saw the outline. You need to come. We're going to celebrate 37 years of Tom and Gail Farrell being here at this church and, uh, and their selfless uh, giving and, and uh, service to all of us. And to the Lord, and I, and I, and I, I just really would encourage all of you to come. We're going to have a great service next uh, next week in the morning, and then we're going to go to a barbecue at the Guyonas house. If you need directions at the for the Guyonas, call the church. It'll be at five o'clock, five o'clock Sunday evening, next Sunday evening, at the Guyonas. We're going to celebrate with music, barbecue, and some speakers. So don't miss it, guys. It's going to be a great time. Um, have a great morning and have a great week. Thanks. Well, good morning and thank you so much for joining us online here uh, for our church service. We are actually finishing our study through the book of Philippians this morning. And uh, I want to just read you the last couple verses as we just jump right in here. Um, it, it's, uh, it's a very typical closing line. Uh, that Paul uses in his letters. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 21, he says this, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you or with your spirit. Paul closes with a greeting, as he so often does in these letters in the New Testament, that he's basically saying, hey, all the people here greet you. Uh, would you greet all of the brothers and sisters there for me? And trust that God's going to continue leading in the Spirit. But I want to pay attention really carefully to this one line uh, that's easy to miss. He says, especially those in Caesar's household. He says, the saints greet you, especially those in Caesar's household. Now, you might not think that's a big deal. But just remember, we're now in AD 64. Um, and it was two years after Nero took charge of Rome. So Nero, in this instance, is the emperor, is the one in control. It's his administration in Caesar's household. And so Paul is saying there are Christians in the most unlikely place you could possibly imagine. 
But more importantly, what he's saying is that this journey to Rome, the idea that we could get the gospel all the way to Rome, to the heart of all of secular society and culture where it's being generated and spread out throughout all the region, we're going to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to Rome. And then he closes his letter by saying, the saints in Caesar's household greet you, the Christians, the followers of Jesus that are in the very house the very administration of Nero himself, the emperor of Rome, greet you. And it's as if he's saying to this church in Philippi, guys, we did it. We made it. We made it to Rome. Paul was dead set on getting to Rome because he knew that was the greatest center of Gentile influence. That if he could get to Rome, if he could share the gospel to Rome, then he was going to be able to influence far beyond what they were doing in Jerusalem. And so he's saying to this church, we did it, not just to Rome, but right to the heart of the beast, to the household of Caesar. All the saints greet you, he says, especially those in Caesar's household. A really, really important closing line. Remember in Acts, all the way back to chapter one, when Paul is dead set on going to Jerusalem, he meets with the elders of Ephesus. This is in uh, Acts 21 verse four. They urge him not to go to Jerusalem. They say, Paul, look, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be arrested. And he says, I'm going to Jerusalem. So he does. And in fact, he does get arrested. There's a riot that breaks out in the city. And right at the end of this whole uh, debacle in Jerusalem, Paul throws out this gauntlet line in Acts 22, verse 25. He says, is it lawful for you to beat a Roman citizen? And he drops this gauntlet in front of them and says, I appeal to Caesar. I'm going to Rome. And just like that, Paul gets a ticket to Rome. It wasn't a free ticket. In fact, it cost him, ultimately ended up costing him his life. But he went as a prisoner to Rome, got on a ship. They took him as a prisoner. His way was paid. He ended up in Rome in house arrest for two years. And two years after he arrives in Rome, he writes this letter to the church in Philippi. And he says, those saints in Caesar's household greet you. We did it. We made it. We accomplished the mission, the vision, the task that was before us to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. We did it. And so we see this culmination now two years after he arrives in Rome as he writes this letter to the church in Philippi. There are saints, in fact, even in the house of Nero, even in the house of the most evil leader at the time, the one who hated Christians, the one who persecuted Christians. As a matter of fact, the, the fire that you might remember, the, the major fires of Rome that uh, many people blamed Nero for, he ended up blaming on the Christians and used it as a tool to persecute and to slaughter Christians all over Rome. That's how bad he hated Christians. And yet there were believers, saints, Paul calls them, in Nero's house as a result of the ministry and the partnership of the Philippian church. We refer to this letter, the Philippians, the book of Philippians, as an epistle. You might have heard that term. It's often confused with the term apostle. The reason those two terms are so similar is because one of them literally means messenger and the other one means message. So apostle being the messenger, epistle being the message or the letter. The word epistle wouldn't appear in your English Bible unless you're reading New King James. Um, every time we see the word epistle in our New Testament Bible, it's translated by the word letter. And so this is a letter to the church at Philippi delivered by an apostle, the messenger writing the letter. And so as Paul writes this letter to the church in Philippi, he has a very specific purpose for edifying, 
for building, instructing, and correcting. He's reporting, sharing what's taking place and what's happening at the church and with the church in Rome. Um, he himself writes this letter for the purpose of building and growing the church, not unlike the letter that he wrote to Corinthians, to the church in Corinth, that he would write in 2 Corinthians. In fact, he says um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2, you are the letter. You are our letter, he says, written on our hearts, known and read by all men. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And the saints in Philippi, he's greeting in these final verses, just like the saints in Corinth and the saints in Caesar's house are these living letters, the testimony of God's faithfulness, living proof that God will accomplish his purpose and his mission. And so when he writes this, it's as if he's saying, these men and women who have embraced faith in Jesus Christ, they are the living letters. As he said to the church in Corinth, you are the living letters, the testimony of God's faithfulness, of God's willingness to accomplish his work however possible, the living proof. And Atascadero Bible Church, I want to say to you very clearly this morning, you are the living letters, the living proof of God's faithfulness through our church and even through our past leadership. You know, we've been talking about uh, Tom's retirement, Pastor Tom, our senior pastor, is retiring here real shortly. And uh, the faithfulness of God to his ministry and the fruit that he experienced and was able to see, have a front row seat at seeing life's change right before his eyes for 37 years now. You all are living letters, a living testimony of God's faithfulness through Tom. What a blessing to allow for God to move in your life and work in your life and say that's because of the work and ministry that God did through ABC. Maybe some of you were baptized here. Maybe you came to faith at ABC. Maybe you got married here or maybe you baptized your kids here or dedicated your kids here. There's a lot of you that have experienced complete transformation, spiritually speaking, by coming and being a part of this church. And so I would say to you, you are the living letters of ABC and the leadership of ABC, the testimony of God's faithfulness over the years. It's an amazing privilege for us to be the, 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 the tablets, our hearts to be the tablets in which the story of God is written. Let me pick out a few key verses from the letter to the Philippian church to sort of show how Paul is explaining to the Philippians that they are these living letters. I think there's a clear theme that comes out as we sort of summarize the book and really we're recapping a few things this morning. I would love to just walk through that. So if you start in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, uh, Paul says right out of the gate, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He starts off by just saying, I'm writing to you, saints, those of you who have embraced faith in Jesus Christ. And then in 1.6, he says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And so Paul is building this case. He's saying, you are the work. You are the living letter. You're the way that God's glory and God's faithfulness is going to be displayed to all the world. Then we go all the way ahead to chapter 4 in verse 1. It says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Again, on display. The lives of these people on display. 
And finally, in chapter 4, verse 22, all the saints greet you, especially those in Caesar's household, those saints whose lives are on display for the world to see the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And so we see this theme come out that Paul's continually saying, it's your life. It's your holiness. It's your decisions. It's the way you live. It's the work of God in you and God's faithfulness to complete that work in you that's going to continue showing and displaying and shining his faithfulness to the world. Living letters. I think the heart of uh, Philippian uh, letters here is that the saints living in Philippi were in fact living letters that the saints living in Rome were in fact living letters and that by proxy, um, at a distance, we are in fact living letters here today at Atascadero Bible Church. And so I wanna just simply ask and consider, what does a letter do? What is the intent and purpose of a letter and how does it accomplish that intent and purpose? If, if it's true that we are living letters, then what are we to do and, and how does a letter accomplish the goal, how ought we then accomplish the goal? First thing I think about is the ability that a letter has. If you write a letter to somebody, the ability a letter has to reflect. It's the first point there in your outline, that a letter reflects. It, it recalls events, circumstances, things that transpire. It's really a story. It tells our story, the things that we've been through, the places we've gone, uh, trials, challenges, thrills, a letter tells our story. It reflects on our story, and a good letter um, tells it well. And Paul, in fact, uses this tactic in Philippians. If you just go to chapter 1, verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, he's talking about what has happened to him, has really served to advance the gospel so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. He's reflecting on his circumstances. He's telling the story of what's happening through his circumstances. Then again in Chapter 4, verse 14, he says, Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And the Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in, in giving and receiving except you. Again, telling the story, saying, here's what happened. I left Macedonia. You partnered with me. You helped me. You're part of the solution, part of the story. A great letter tells a story. I think we... Uh, do ourselves a disservice if our living letters don't tell the story well. Think of the difference between leaving an instructive note and leaving a story. If I left a note to my children who are faithful at times of taking out the trash that simply said, please don't forget to put a liner in the trash can when you take out the trash. I could leave that as a note on there. But if I tell them a story instead, Something that goes like this. The other day I went to take the trash out and realized there was no liner in it. So I pick up the can out of the kitchen and begin to take it across the kitchen floor, realizing that it's dripping trash juice all along the way. And so I stop and set the trash can down and I go to grab some paper towels and some disinfectant to wipe down the trash juice. And as I kneel over, I knock the trash can over, which effectively knocked out the eggshells and the coffee grounds onto the floor. And then I had to move from a paper towel to a mop and put the trash can outside, finally getting it dumped into the can and rinsing it out with a hose before bringing it back into the kitchen and putting a liner in the trash can. Therefore, please do not forget the liner in the trash can. If I said that versus a simple note that said, please don't forget the liner in the trash can, how much more effective is it? How much more memorable? Ugh, dad's a little uptight about the liner, right? 
Stories help to illustrate our instruction. Stories help to create memory around our instruction. Stories and reflection help our story to last, help our instruction to last. We're moved by stories, instructed by stories, compelled by stories. We are, church, living letters. Consider your story as a living letter. Consider the effectiveness of your story. The instruction aspect, however, is, um, is equally as important, right? That letters don't just tell stories, they also instruct. In fact, Paul says in chapter 2, verse 3, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count yourselves more significant than, or count others more significant than yourselves. Very clear instruction. In chapter 2, verse 14, Paul says, do all things without grumbling or questioning. These are very clear instructions in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Paul gives such clear instruction, but guess what? It's woven throughout this letter where he's constantly reflecting, telling stories, and then coming back to instruction. He's saying, because this happened, remember to do this. Because you are this, remember to not participate in this. So he's continually reminding his church, his, uh, his constituents in this case, that there is instructive, there is truth that needs to be communicated. And I think it's important that we reflect on that because we've gotten, in all honesty, we've gotten gun shy about instruction in truth. Just my observation, I think we're hesitant to instruct in truth. We're happy to say, well, here's what's true for me. Here's what's true based on my experience. Here's how I see things. Here's my perspective. That's all fair game. But if you start drawing lines in the sand and bringing instruction with absolute truth, calling things right or calling things wrong, it becomes very unpopular. And yet I think it's critical for us as a church and us as living letters of the church to be willing to call things wrong and call things right. To be willing to instruct. Yes, we share our story. Yes, we reflect on our experience. But then we simply instruct in such a clear way, as compelling as Paul says it in Philippians. Very clear, without question. God has given us an important and critical message. And I think at times our living letters are content to stop short of the instruction. And I want to encourage you, it's okay to say if it's right or wrong. Look at how he finishes in chapter 3, um, near the end here of chapter 3, verse 17. says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and the glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. He's warning the Philippian church of those who don't hold fast to truth. He's saying, try to imitate me. Try to share the truth. Try to draw a line in the sand because if you don't, look at where you'll end up. Look at the alternative. He doesn't shy away from instruction in his letter to Philippians. We are living letters, instructive letters. And finally, a good letter I believe, compels. That's the final point there, that 
Paul's letters are filled with statements like, I urge you, I pray, I long for. Look at uh, chapter 1, verse 7. He says, It is right for me to feel this way because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. He's urging the Philippian church. And then in chapter 2, verse 2, complete my joy with this urging language. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being being a full accord in one mind. Finally, in chapter 4, verse 1, I read it earlier in summary. He says, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Paul is urging, charging, calling, creating a longing and a sense of desire for the church, saying, yes, I'm going to reflect on my experience. Yes, I'm going to give you some instruction. But then I urge you to do the same. I urge you to become these living letters. Reflect the glory of God. See how God can move in you if you're obedient to him purpose of Paul's letter in this case is motivation. It's not a poetic sort of artful piece of literature. This letter is not meant to be curated in a museum as a a great structural piece of literary work that Paul wanted to be on display as often we treat the Bible. Look at this great literature. Look how it's constructed and look how the arguments are set up and look at the language and the way that they use the language and go back and look at some of the wisdom literature and and the play on words and the different syllable usage. That is not the intention of the epistles in the New Testament. The New Testament epistles are to reflect on the experience that God has taken them through to provide instruction, clear instruction, and then motivate towards change. So if 1 Corinthians chapter, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 is true that we are in fact as the Corinthian church was living letters, living epistles, a testimony for the work of God, for the fruit of God. If that's who we are, if that's what who, what we're supposed to be, then we need to consider what our reflective and what our truth instruction and what our compelling message is to the world. Rather than sort of being okay to To just say, my truth might be different than your truth. No, my truth is God's word and it's true for everyone. It's not just true for me, it's true for everyone. That's what the Bible says. We are living letters. You are living letters. Tell your story. Don't be afraid to instruct. Compel others to reflect their own story to follow you, as Paul says, to imitate you in the truth. I want to show you a very clear example of a living letter. In fact, a couple living letters. And I want to introduce you to a couple people that I believe have allowed for their experience to instruct others and now to compel. And so we're going to share a couple living letter stories. And I want you to consider this as they're sharing. Consider what would my letter read like? What would my story um, communicate like? What would I say? What is my experience? What is my reflection and story? What would be my instruction? And how would it compel others? Consider that as you uh, hear the story of Reggie and Shannon Berard. Hi, uh, everyone. My name is Reggie Berard, and this is my wife, Shannon. We're a local builder in the area and have attended ABC for 21 years. 
Uh, we have three boys and now two daughter-in-laws with five grandkids. Um, we will also be celebrating 41 years of marriage in a couple of weeks. It's true. 41 years of marriage, this amazing guy. It all started that Sunday in 1980, three months before our wedding day. We both met Jesus at the same altar call, palms sweating, heart beating, completely not knowing what I was going to do. <laughs> I got up and walked down the aisle, only to find Reggie kneeling by, right beside me. That turned out to be the best day ever. God had a plan. We were the first generation to accept Christ. Everything was new. Life as I knew it, it was going to change. And boy, did it need to. How do I learn to love Jesus? How do I be a wife, a mother, a mother-in-law, a good grandma? Usually it's by example. But I was too busy caring about myself and my own needs. So um, I wasn't paying attention. Luckily, God was. So he picks me up every time I stumbled. He forgave me when I failed. And he gave me a dump load of grace, lots of grace. God truly filled in the parts that helped grow me and take me in the direction he determined was best. He gave me a man who was gentle and patient, who loved me the best that he knew how and worked like a dog to provide an amazing family um, and home for our family. We loved each other at first sight, but that's changed. God has made it so much better than I could ever imagine. Now this is a, just a short look at a couple who seems like to have it all together. You know, like going to church and someone asking you, how are you doing? Even if your whole world is falling apart, you give them that safe answer, I'm good. Ever done that? As my new life began in the Lord looking back, uh, it was not my priority, nor would I say it was even a close second. I would continue to work to provide for the family. Shannon would lead our home spiritually for many years attempting to keep us on track. Then came the first pivotal time of my life. Shannon asked me to go to a couples conference at Hume Lake. Against my will, along with being a putz, I finally agreed. Lo and behold, who spoke? Uh, the largest remodeling contractor on the West Coast. God used his words to pierce my heart where I would spend the whole weekend in tears. God had truly touched my heart and my life would not be the same. Soon after, Shannon and our youth pastor, Rich Fisher, plotted away to help me to get to the Tascadero Bible Church to set up chairs at youth group, which ended in 15 years of serving in youth ministries. Being able to lead all of our outreaches, both regionally and globally, the exposure of those years would again continue to reshape my life. God also allowed us to go through that season as a family uh, that's right, Shannon and the kids, each individually as they grew up. We still get to serve at Hume Lake to this day to build the sets and other things each year. In my home as I walk the hallways every morning, I see the memories posted on the walls and I tell God thank you for the memories that I could have never achieved on my own merit. Also, when I walk the hallways, I ask God, what's next? I'm now 60 years old with a newly diagnosed heart condition. How can God use me now? That was the beginning of our next pivotal time in my life. The place where I'm most uncomfortable is apparently where God is calling me next. As an elder, Shannon and I were asked to serve, providing oversight 
and encouragement to our CR ministry team, which included attending a summit at Saddleback Church. We were under the pretense that CR was not for us, but we agreed to help, you know, those people, um, the ones with alcohol and drug addiction. Looking back, this was perhaps our biggest misconception about the ministry. We have now been serving and attending CR for three years, and we have become one of those people. And you might ask why. That would be the very purpose of us being able to share with you today. It's all true. <laughs> because of God's faithfulness and patience, God waits for that perfect moment when he knows that we will hear. Sometimes his voice is hard to hear, or maybe it's because I can't hear over my own. God had a plan for that too. As I pray, Lord, change my life, make me more like you, he waits for me again. He waits for me to surrender, truly surrender. My self-sufficiency, my all-knowing attitude. I've got it all together life. Honestly, we thought we were doing pretty good. I guess you need to hear Reggie's part of the story. CR for me is helping me discover a new identity in hopes of putting off more of the old and putting on more of the new, which for me is battling with insecurities and anxieties that come from my early childhood of being raised to be seen and not heard. That is why, that is, that is, that I was never good enough. All this resulted in people pleasing. My whole life was about pleasing others. My CR experience is a different one. I could already fix all my problems and Reggie's too. <laughs> I appeared to be in control most of the time. My opinions were free even if you didn't want to hear them. You just heard the definition of codependency. I really did not understand what that meant. Now I see it comes in many forms. For me, it is what I call a DNA sin passed down from past generations, deeply rooted. God wants to teach me that I don't have to stay the same. He specializes in character rehab or as CR calls it, character defects that God will remove if we submit and humbly humble ourselves to him. I love this safe place where people admit that they're broken. I get to be a part of seeing God doing his miracles of transformation as he teaches me humility and calls me to move out of his way so that he can do his work. Crazy, I thought I was a good Holy Spirit. <laughs> First a small crack in my heart, then my grip began to loosen, things that had been held captive, which created the bondage in my life, the things that have been robbing me from freedom that God had been trying to give me, all my secret places, my locked doors of denial that I've been closing for so many years, God through CR has been the key to my true freedom. In our wrap up, I would like to leave you with a, th a few thoughts. As I shared earlier, our hallway is filled with memories. But we also have those memories that aren't on the wall that I'd probably rather forget. Maybe you can relate. Well, God has given me the CR How-To Handbook to walk me through those challenges, to help turn my negatives to positives through the changing of my perspective. It has really helped me to see differently. God has a plan for me, and it's John 10.10. 10. The NLT version says, my purpose is to give you life in all its fullness. 
how would we ask is that possible? In Ephesians 1.3, by giving access to every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we belong to Christ. In the last three years, I've benefited from CR as one of the tools to giving life in all its fullness. I have a desire to walk with him closely because I know it bears much fruit, but I have to do my part. Here's a quote from one of the men shared with us in our group. I found that if I pray for God to move a mountain, I must be prepared to wake up next to a shovel. I'm realizing that if I want to follow the Lord, I have to be prepared to set my alarm clock and put on my sneakers because walking with God requires discipline, commitment, and a lot of hard work. In five years from now, I don't want to be the same person I am today. I want to be a better husband, father, employer, co-worker, friend, and ultimately follower of Christ. I personally have a desire to finish strong in the Lord. And as an elder of the church, I share the same passion for the church body along with the rest of the elders and leaders. We as church leadership also choose not to be in the same place five years from now as we are today. We want to continue to work towards becoming more prayerful and spirit-led, committed to knowing and teaching the Bible, committed to becoming intentional with discipleship, to be connected to other believers in the community, becoming generous in sacrificing for the good of others, and becoming godly focused in our Great Commission, and lastly, being partners in the gospel. These are not the church, these aren't just the church's value, but they are the church's core values, meaning it's the heartbeat of the body. Imagine what the health of the church might look like. Selfishly speaking, what about our personal lives? If we became more aligned with these values, how would this enhance our daily lives? We believe at Tascadero Bible Church that Celebrate Recovery model is one of the how-to vehicles of becoming. We invite you to come on a Thursday night to check it out. Or if you like to read, even if you don't, pick up the book called Life's Healing Choices by Rick Warren for an intro to the ministry. It very possibly could be life-changing as it has been for Shannon and I and so many others. Thank you. Thanks. It's amazing to consider our lives and our hearts are these tablets that, like Paul says, that uh, it's stories that aren't written with ink and with, with paper, but stories that are written on the hearts of men and women. That our story becomes a living letter. That our story becomes a compelling reason for someone to say, I think I want what they have. I think they're onto something. I think they've figured something out that I haven't quite landed on yet. As we consider our lives as, as living letters, as we conclude this letter to the church in Philippi, I simply want to ask you, what is your letter writing? How does it read? How does it communicate? And if you haven't taken the time, like Reggie and Shannon have, to process through how to share your story, how to share of God's faithfulness, how to share of the redemption that comes through grace in Jesus Christ, I would encourage you to consider sharing that. Write it down. Take some notes. Share it with a friend. Maybe adjust it a little bit. Maybe you might process through it with someone and they go, yeah, that's so helpful, but 
And what I really want to hear is this. And maybe they would draw some more pieces of your reflection story out. Consider writing down your story. We call it a testimony, your story. That's your written living letter. That God would use your story, that God would use your letter to compel others, to lead others, and ultimately to communicate truth. I want to... Um, I want to just close this series in Philippians by reading a, a powerful passage from this book that I think we landed on a couple weeks ago, but I want to come back to it because even as you consider being a living letter and your story and where you're at right now, I think this truth is so profound. Let me just close with verse uh, 8 of chapter 4. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Pray with me. Father, we are so grateful for these clear words that we would think and dwell on whatever is admirable and lovely and commendable and just and excellent and that what we have learned, even in this book study, walking through the book of Philippians, whatever we have received and heard and seen, may we put it into practice. God, may we take the truth that we've learned and move on it. God, lead us as we process through how you'll continue growing and crafting our story to become living letters for you. In your name I pray.